Hello, you've tuned in to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. My name is Becky Odd Jennison, and I'm your host. Why death? Death is the part of our lives we are so very certain about, yet we fear the most. Hiding deep within anxiety, which is a current epidemic, lies the fear of death, ours or a loved one's. But what if I told you that people who embrace death and talk about it openly have a more full-spectrum life experience? We know it isn't your fault. We've been programmed to stuff our conversations and feelings surrounding end of life. By listening to other stories, you get invaluable practice. Our listeners feel more informed about what to do when they find themselves negotiating that inevitable terrain. Most of all, our listeners feel a personal expansion after sitting with someone's tender and fascinating story. That's why we say listening will make you a better human. Promise. Thanks for being here. Throughout the life of the Death Dialogues Project and Podcast, people have encouraged me to seek support, sponsors, grants, Patreon. I haven't because it just didn't resonate for this grassroots effort, and actually being one person, the time involved was just too much. But now I do have an ask for you. We have two books coming out in 2022 based on this work that I believe people will find very helpful with any of the profits being fed right back into this project. The hope is to reach the people that need to hear these conversations the most. So far, this project has been spread primarily through word of mouth. So I have a favor to ask that will have many benefits for us. Please, if you appreciate this podcast, subscribe and rate it on the platform where you listen to it. And please share with those you think might appreciate or benefit from the content. Secondly, be on the lookout for our books when they arrive in 2022. Initially planned as one book, my publisher advised me to create two books. The first, due out in February, is Death and Its Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Beautiful Lessons, Field Notes from the Death Dialogues Project. And the second is, And Then the Stars Spoke, A Memoir Through the Lens of Death. Most of our social media engagement is on Instagram, and we'd love for you to follow our journey there and keep up with the process surrounding the books. Just recently, there was a cover reveal. Thank you so much for your patience and your support and listening to this little wee commercial for our work. Take good care. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. You may have heard me refer to full spectrum living in the past. The concept of deeply feeling our full range of emotions from the depths tragic grief brings to us onward. Actually, it begins to open us to the ability to feel joy and see the magic around us in a way we may have never before. This conversation with Teresa is a perfect example of that as we hear how she was decimated by the sudden death of her beloved partner and the transformation that ignited. You can read more about Teresa in the program notes, but right now, 
sit back and hear her heartfelt conversation. Heads up that you do hear some background noise on this episode, but her story comes through loud and clear. Thanks for being here. Hello, Teresa. Thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Becky. It's so good to be here. Oh, I'm really excited to hear your journey that you've been on. I know it's one of transformation. And I'm just wondering if maybe you could start at the beginning and share with our listeners um, your story of love and loss and how that's transformed you. And we'll just chat from there if that's okay with you. That sounds perfect. Um, You know, it's funny how our stories really are um, such a big part of who we are. And often I find people afraid to tell that story because it can trigger in them um, trauma or pain. And yet it is only in telling the story that I think we get to the other side. Um, I had uh, been in a difficult marriage for about 25 years and it wasn't difficult from the beginning, but as time went on, um, things changed. We both changed and we amicably decided that the best thing for us to do is to get divorced. So here I was 25 years in one marriage, newly on the scene of dating and, um, it was terrifying. And, um, I was not a dater. I was, someone who wanted to get married and have babies and live my life with rocking chairs someday on a front porch with the same person. So there was a already a sense of loss and I was trying to navigate that. And, um, I went to a doctor's office for a physical and, um, on the opposite side of the counter, there was this very handsome man. (laughs) I was writing my check for my copay as he was, And to make a very long story short, the universe intervened because the woman who was taking Rick's check um, was actually the mother of my son's best friend. And she called me at my office when I got back to work and told me that there was a man who wanted to know if he could have my phone number and was that okay. And she knew my story and that I was on my own and had been for a while. So we met and... um, it was instant. It was magical. It was love at first sight. And we were um, living our lives together. And we had gone away for a couple of weeks to the beautiful island of Vieques. And if you've not been there, it's a small island off the coast of Puerto Rico, where life slows to a crawl. And the the beauty on the island is magnificent. And we spent, Would you say the name of it one more time? Yes, it's Vieques, V-I-E-Q-U-E-S, Vieques. Oh, okay. It's a very tiny island. So you fly into San Juan, and then you have to take a tiny little plane for four people. Um, and we were just, um, we were in the most blissful place, and we spent the couple of weeks, you know, at the beach and, um just enjoying each other's company and enjoying good food and slowing down. The cell phones were non-existent. It was the first time I had not had my cell phone in my pocket for a more than a few days. And um, 
So we finished our trip and we flew home and um, we got in at about midnight here into Western Massachusetts and we went to bed. We left the suitcases in the bedroom unpacked and because we're old, we wake up the same time every morning, even though (laughs) we don't have to. (laughs) And so the internal alarm clock went off and it was um, just a little after six and we woke up and had coffee and I had my coffee. Rick was not a coffee drinker. And um, he hopped in the shower and then he said to me, why are we up? It was a Saturday and the sky that day was an incredible robin egg blue. It was the kind of blue that like hurts your eyes. It was in June. You step outside and it's so gorgeous. The green is so green and the blue is so blue. And it was very, very powerful for me because I did step out onto the porch and see the colors and I felt the colors. And um, and then it all changed. And so I went back in the house. He said, why are we up? We were going to go play golf that day. He was teaching me how to play golf. And we were going to go to the grocery store, as you typically do after a vacation, to restock the fridge. And he said, let's go back to bed. We have nothing, you know, no timeline. And so um, we crawled back into bed and we were all cuddled up and in bliss because we had just come back from a beautiful vacation. Life was a dream. And um, when I woke up an hour and a half later, he was gone. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I didn't know at the time. Um, I had my arm around him, and um, and I said to him when I woke up, I said, "Now we're being lazy bones," and he didn't respond. And um, I tickled his belly, and he didn't respond. And I was, he was on his left side and I was right up against him with my arm around him. And so I kind of leaned up onto my hand. And as I did that, I realized my body was supporting his. And so he pulled onto his back Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was unspeakable. Um, and I knew that he was gone, and yet that part of us that wants to um, believe something is different, this can't be happening, I obviously called 911, and they did their due diligence to help me through doing CPR until the ambulance got there. And I knew, I mean, I knew the whole time looking back, in the moment I was... um, trying not to be hysterical and trying to, um, I remember thinking he's going to be okay and we're going to have to change our lifestyle. And I even remember thinking we'll get a ramp up the front steps of the house. Um, Mm. and it was, um, it was unlike anything that you ever think you're going to live through. And I think for me, the transition from the vacation and this gift of this unlimited time together and the beauty and the love 
it was just so infused with love. And so um, the police came and the AMTs came and they were, there were four guys on the bed and they were throwing vials and I was standing there and I, and now as I re- recall it, I see myself as I'm looking at the photo of it and just traumatized and looking at them working on him and knowing that he's already gone in my heart. Um, and the police, the, uh, the medic came to the police officer and whispered something to him. And the police officer came to me and said, when is the last time you spoke to him? And I said, it was about seven, maybe seven fifteen, when we said, I love you and both fell asleep. And, um, so I just, um, kind of went into numbness mode, which I think most people do when they're in a situation that causes so much trauma. And I um, followed them out to the ambulance. The police officer said, would you like me to drive you? And I was like, no, I can drive. And I stoically drove myself. And I don't even remember crying at that point. I was in this place of like, I just, we were going to build a ramp and he was going to come home, even though I knew he was gone. And so it just continued. Um, They have a program here in Western Mass at this specific hospital where they believe that it is very helpful to people to actually be in the trauma room if they're able to um, watch, if it's something that they can handle. So the, Mm -hmm. the head doc came out to me and said, explained the program and said, we just think it's helpful for you. If you're able to do this, you're welcome to come in. And I, of course, you know, I'm the good little A-type personality. I do what I'm told. I went in and I sat there by myself while they worked on him. And, um, and I mentioned going out on the deck and the sky being so blue and Mm -hmm. the grass being so green and the trees When I stepped out of the house to get in my car, it was as though everything had gone to monochrome. Like I, I, I like, I, I remember that feeling of like, what happened? Why is it so gray? Everything was just, um, it was incredible. It was just incredible. And so I did go into the the trauma room and, um, at some point he, um, he said something and everybody stopped what they were doing and they all walked out like little ants. They left the room and he came over and sat next to me and said, I'm very sorry. And, um, and they left me to, you know, have some time with Rick and it's hard to imagine that, but an hour and a half before, you know, we were loving each other. And so, um, I, you know, I, I also remember the awareness that the whole world didn't know his daughters, mm-hmm. my kids, um, my sister, everybody who, you know, loved us didn't know that this happened. It was the secret that he and I had. And there was a part of me that didn't want to tell anybody because I guess if I didn't tell them, it wouldn't be real. And, um, 
So I stayed with him for a while, and and then I finally I called everyone, and um, and the nightmare started. Um, they actually ended up having to take me out of the room because it was an un um, I can't remember what they called it now, um, but it was um, an unassisted death. Basically, there was no no medical personnel there when he died and so they had to take me out of the room to make the whole situation even a little worse and i had to be questioned by the police oh yes there's a whole protocol around that and i understood Mm. but it didn't Mm -hmm. make anything um any more pleasant and they were very sorry about that but um they had to do what they had to do so um yeah and i think that um I didn't realize the impact that this death was going to have on my life, as traumatic as it was. Um, I didn't realize that I would um, ever come out and see the light on the other side. Um, I wanted to be dead, and um, for a very long time, I wanted to be dead. If he was gone, there was no point in living. And the love that he and I had shared to me was just pulled away. And I was living in my human body. And my spirit was so far from me. Um, I was raised a devout Catholic. And and after my parents died... um, I realized that there was so much more to religion than Catholicism and I loved my faith, but I needed more. There was a longing for a connection to a part of me that I knew was there, but I had not, I had not had the ability to really um, dig into that and be open to in the confines of my faith. And so I kind of took a break after mom and dad died and I started to understand the the ability that we all have to connect with that part of us that doesn't require anything except a quiet mind and an open heart. And so I was in a place where that was all, I was aware of all of that. And yet in this death, I just needed to be dead. And I had them, um, some oxycodone in the cabinet, in the medicine cabinet. And um, my son had had his wisdom teeth out. And so I Googled, you know, how much I needed. I Googled the fact that I needed booze to help the, the whole thing. I didn't have enough um, of anything to, um, to do the job. And I also didn't want to leave... Um, any problems for my kids and I adore my children. I adore my grandchildren. And that was severed in those days. There was love had left the building and it was such a dark place. It was such a, I mean, it still makes me tear up. The death obviously makes me sad. But the place it took me that we can, in this human experience, become 
so disconnected from ourselves and our inner beings and our light source. Mm-hmm. And um, so I struggled with that for many days. And my family was wonderful. They, you know, they checked in on a constant basis after they had, you know, after everybody goes back to their lives. Um, I was in the house with the shades drawn for a very long time and um, everybody continued to check in and everybody was very worried. And, um, and I went to bed one night and I had a lot of trouble sleeping during those days. And I'm ironically, I was going to take drugs to end my life. And yeah, I hate taking drugs. I hate taking Tylenol. I don't take any meds and I try not to. So I didn't want to take anything to help me sleep. And um, I, in the middle of the night, one night, I had dozed off and I felt someone touch me. It literally, like, it kind of jarred me. And Mm -hmm. obviously there was no one in the room, but I felt it, perhaps it was a lucid dream. I don't know, but I was woken up and I sat up in this bed. And Becky, there was a palpable energy in that room. And the tears were endless, but they were tears of joy. There was a sense of love in that room, like love had come back to the building. And I knew in that moment that I had more love to give, that I could not dishonor the love that we shared in this life by letting go of myself and that my inner being loved me no matter what happened in my life. That my light, my light source was there to hold me and to teach me and that there was more to this story. And I was up most of the night that night and I got out a journal and I wrote. And the next morning when the sun rose, I sat on the ground and for the first time in a long time, I meditated. And as I did, I had literally, I felt a hand on my right cheek Mm. and it held me. It just held me, which is exactly what he used to do. He would hold my hand, uh, my cheek, my face with his palm. And that was it for me. I, I, I get it. I hear you. Um, I am going to live the rest of my life helping people to understand that the most horrible thing that you ever think that can happen to you is something that could be the greatest gift. And it was not that grief ended for me. It was not that I did not suffer all of the things that we go through when we grieve because we missed the human connection with that person. But I knew then that this was his journey, that this was his story, and that I was lucky enough to be in his life. And he could have died in a car accident. He, he died of cardiac arrest. And the ER doc, who I went back to see a few weeks later because I was so traumatized by guilt that I could not save him. And the doctor said to me, 
Teresa, if my whole team was in your bedroom, there's nothing we could have done. He literally took a breath, his heart stopped, and he left. That was it. There was no saving him. Mm -hmm. And when I was able to wrap my head around the fact that, you know, we all have a specific time and place, um, I was... I could open that container to hold the fact that this could be something that helped me and that maybe that was part of this story. And, um, and then everything exploded. The universe got that spotlight and shined it down on me. And, um, and one thing led to another and I found other people who were suffering and could not understand the connection between being transformed by something horrific and staying in a place where you live the rest of your life in deep, deep suffering. And, um, yeah. Wow. Just so many, many heart, you know, just my heart so open listening to the story. And I'm so sorry that you went through this. And, but I also hear the transformation that took place. Um, what a beautiful relationship it sounds like you had and mm. connection um, yeah. to have that is an amazing thing. And um, I, I wanted to ask you a couple questions, if that's okay. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, when you were in that moment of looking in the medicine cabinet, finding what was there, going to the place of looking it up, you know, about adding the alcohol, mm-hmm. can you remember what changed your course at that point in time? Yes, I absolutely can. And I'd like it to be something very um, powerful. And it's not. I had not left the house. It's very um, basic. I had not left the house for weeks. My neighbors were bringing me anything I needed, which was primarily wine. Um, I was existing on Cape Cod potato chips and red wine for many weeks. Even though, you know, people were trying to feed me, I, it was another kind of subliminal way of killing myself by, by starving my body. Um, I'm not a drinker. You know, I love my glass of wine on occasion, but I can go months and months without a Friday night glass of wine. And I, um, I had not left the house and I needed to purchase large amounts of strong alcohol and not a bottle of red wine. It needed to be. Jack Daniels or tequila and a lot of it. And that was the reason I just didn't want to leave. I didn't want to step out into the world where he wasn't because in my space, I was surrounded by him, his clothes, his, um, his glass on the nightstand. I was infused with us, our suitcases from the trip. So I opened his suitcase. And there was sand in the bottom. And, you know, I held that sand. I had all kinds of little rituals I created for myself 
in those weeks immediately following after everyone left. So those couple of weeks right after he died, um, you know, there was family and friends around, but once everybody left, I cocooned myself in that place. And so the reality of it is I couldn't bear the thought of leaving the house and somehow subjecting myself to the real world because it felt as though if I did that, um, I would be admitting to the fact that he was gone. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it was a pretty black and white thing for me. Um, and I think ultimately there's a piece of me that knows that um, I probably wouldn't have done it anyway. Um, I'd like to think that, but I don't know. Um, it sounds the way you describe your emotional state during that time and the grief process, it sounds like what what you were communicating that was less about wanting to die and more about wanting to be with him possibly. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And, um, well, we're grateful that you didn't get in that car and that you were able to let go of that in that moment. Mm. It is great indication of how decimating grief can be. Hmm. It's it's incredible, and um, and I think that um, until you've walked a path of loss, to whatever degree you experience it, it's not something that you can, um, that you can understand. And I, I shared a story yesterday. So fast forward to, um, two years ago, um, I was invited to a, I had moved. So I lived in our home and it got to the point where I just needed, I needed to kind of have a new environment. Um, I was continually struggling to move forward, even though wonderful things were happening in my life. And I was originally from Connecticut, where I was born. I had friends there. And um, so I made the decision to just pick up and move. And um, I had a beautiful practice. I had um, a great new home, which thank goodness I rented. I did not buy. And I was there for six months. And I was beginning to feel like this journey was just so divinely orchestrated because of the things that happened. I, um, you know, I believe very much in signs from people who uh, transition, who cross over. And I love numbers. So um, when I found this condo that I was going to rent, I asked for a sign and I had previous to that um, gone to talk to someone and she was a psychic and she asked me if I felt any connection to any animals as it related to Rick. And I said that in my home prior to moving to Connecticut, there was a bluebird. Rick's favorite color was blue. So yeah, I made the connection, but it was, yeah, it was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make this be something. And she said, no, he's telling me that a bluebird is, um, 
is his way. And I said, okay. And even that kind of felt like, okay, um, that feels nice. So I went to move to Connecticut and I found this condo and the owner called me and I went down to see it. And on the way there, I said, what's the address I could put into my GPS? And it was 333 Songbird Lane. And the Blue Jay is the most prevalent songbird in this part of the country. So that felt, that felt pretty cool. Mm. And there were just a number of things that happened that were like that, that were this, like you're on the right path. And so anyway, I was there for six months and I got invited to a New Year's Day party back here in Massachusetts by a friend. And every year she has this New Year's Day party, which is lovely. We go in and everybody lights a candle and sets an intention for the year. And it's a very mindful, beautiful experience. And I had not been for many years because it was too painful. And so I decided that I was going to go, but I also decided that I had the power to leave if and when it felt too hard for me. And that was new for me because I just, I often did things that were hard because they were the right thing to do. And this transformation was not only about my grief and my connection to my higher source, but it was also to that part of me that always ran the show because it was the right thing to do. And there were times where I wanted something different and I didn't listen So that awareness that I could go to this party and if I felt uncomfortable or too sad, I could leave. So when I went in, she greeted me and she said, she gave me the candle to set the intention for the year. And I said, you know, Vicki, I'm going to set the intention for right now. And that's all I can do. And she gave me a big hug. We cried and I lit my candle and I said, may this whatever this party needs to be. And so I was standing at the table having some hummus and peppers and dip and talking to a few people. And a man came over to me and said, hi, I'm Tom. I said, hi, I'm Teresa. He said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a life coach. I work primarily with women who are grieving. Um, And it isn't just about loss of a spouse or a child or someone love but sometimes the loss of themselves or the loss of their health or a job and he his eyes got really wide and he said oh my goodness you have to meet my friend Rob and I said okay and he said he's not here yet but you're going to be here for 20 minutes or so I said yeah yeah, probably so about 20 minutes later he came and got me and he walked me over and he said Rob this is Teresa Teresa this is Rob and Rob had um, lost his wife to pancreatic cancer around the same time that Rick died. And to make a very long story short, we stood there in the corner of this party as though there was no party. And um, we fell in love. Ooh. We fell in love. And um, we realized that we both understood what we had suffered. We both understood the pain of grief. And it turns out that Rob is a grief coach, a grief therapist. He's Mm. a renowned therapist for 40 years. 
He has helped people suffer and endure and live with grief and has written a beautiful book. Um, and, and here we were together sharing our grief at this party. So yesterday was the anniversary of Andrea's death and we were leaving the cemetery. And I said to Rob, the feeling of grief is something likened to when I was pregnant with my children. Like the whole pregnancy, I was okay. I was excited. We were waiting for this baby. And then that moment when you have that first contraction, and I will never forget it. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't want to do this. That panic of the reality that I know I can't get out of this. And I said to Rob yesterday as we were leaving the cemetery, it feels like grief felt. You can't get out of this. You have to live through it. And the other awareness, and this is all like just yesterday, my mom, who I was incredibly close to, was my first real loss, and that was in 2006. And when she died, she, I was with her, and I don't know if anyone who's listening has ever witnessed, you know, someone dying. That was my first time, and it, it was scary, and it was also very beautiful. There was a physical experience that I watched as my mom died and there was this pushing it was as though she was pushing like breathing hard and pushing something out and I don't know if any of your other listeners because after I said this to Rob yesterday so I'm going to start asking people who have witnessed a death have they seen that or felt that and his mom died last July and we sat with her together, and she did the same thing. And I wonder, Becky, if it's birthing the soul out of the body. Mm -hmm. It kind of felt like that because there is this intense pushing through the breath. And um, perhaps it's different for everybody, but anyway... Um, yeah, Rob and I fell in love at that party on January 1st, and um, we decided to celebrate this January and get married. <laughs> oh, congratulations. And, yeah, and we have a photo of Rob and Andrea, and we have a photo of Rick and I, and then we have our photo in the center. And um, they are such a part of our lives, and we know them through each other's stories. And um, in the beginning, I called him Rick all the time. Uh, he had an advantage. It was Teresa and Andrea. So at least the first initials were different. I had Rob and Rick. And I'm old. So it was very often that I would call him Rick. In the beginning, it was hard. And we've come to a place now where we realize that there is support that's needed around people who are um, who are in that process of you know, in the new relationship and what does that feel like um, after you've had such a big loss? 
and um, and all of the emotions that go with that. It's incredible. It's things you've never thought of when you step into love again, and yet your heart has a hole in it the size of that person you lost that will never be filled by anyone. Um, what a gift that you both are emotionally literate enough to talk about that. Mm-hmm. You know, can you imagine in relationships where there's a fear, you know, you know, or just a denial oh. because that's going to yeah. come up that, that, that person not being in your life anymore, the grief, whatever is going to come up one way or the other, most likely in maybe in your relationship, but gosh, that just sounds really sounds like a connection, a divine connection. And it feels that way. And we're also incredibly aware of the fact that the most important relationship is the one we have with ourselves. And I would have to say of all the gifts that this very badly wrapped gift I got from Rick was of all of the, the benefits it's, I don't want to call them benefits, but it's really what they are. The transformation, the the way I got just plunked up and put on a different road. Um, the biggest one is the awareness that we have within us. All we need for every life experience. And the most important relationship is the one we have with ourselves. The rest of it, it's all going to happen. Life is going to go on. Things are going to happen. People are going to come and go. People are going to treat us bad. Life is going to treat us in a way that we don't want. But when we have that relationship with self, that knowing that there's a part of me that has an endless, limitless, pure amount of love. I, 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 to this day, every day, I am in awe of the fact that we all get that. Like, we come with that. That's the base model. <laughs> you know, the base human model comes with that. And in this life, We are not teaching and we are not supporting and we are not creating a world where, I mean, where we teach that when children are little. Um, And there are people, I'm sure, that do that. I was not in a place. I was taught that I needed to be a good girl and I needed to love God because if I didn't, I would go to hell. And... Um, and it was no one's fault. You know, there's an ancestral lineage that goes on for hundreds and thousands of years. But that knowing to me was the biggest gift that that beautiful man gave me in crossing over in the way that he did. And, um, and telling me that love never dies and love is who we are. And that it's a beautiful thing to know that 
Even in the hardest of times. Well, indeed, it sounds like a journey of transformation. Did it affect the way you worked in the world with your practice? It changed so much, Becky. Um, You know, (laughs) I've always been a student of, you know, learning more and knowing more and wanting to do things right. And it changed my worry about showing up in the world. This is who I am. And I only need to share who I am and how I can help you see who you are by my story and by holding space for you to investigate that, to give you tools to know how to tap into that. Um, And once that connection is made, that's someone else's job with themselves. And I'm there to support. So I started to view myself less as a teacher of spirituality or more as a companion to have the privilege of walking this road with someone. Um, because I think we all have times in our lives where we need someone to prop us up a little or to listen and say, did you try that? Or how about this? And to, to hold all that they have to offer at that point in time. But I stopped worrying so much because the worst thing that I ever could have dreamed would happen happened that day and I'm here talking to you and I I mentioned to you earlier that not only did Rob and I decide during the pandemic the best thing to do is get married but also to buy our dream home and we bought a house that sits on a river it's on stilts so we're literally 10 feet from the water it is um so stunning here we pinch ourselves every morning And we are big kayakers. And so I have, um, we we kayaked for the last time for the season last November. And just a quick story about the universe showing me the way. Um, We kayaked that day. It was a cold day in November. And we were sad that it was the last time. And as we were getting ready to end our paddle, I said to Rob, wave to me, I'm going to take a selfie. And I put my cell phone up and I took a picture and it's got my nose and my hat and Rob behind me waving. At the time, we were living in Rob's house where he lived with Andrea. And he had some challenging memories in that house from her illness. And I energetically had a hard time on a regular basis. Again, this is something we talk to people about when we talk to couples because it's hard. It's hard to be in a space where your love loved another and you're physically surrounded by the the energy and the things. And so we lived there for a while and we went on this paddle. It was a Sunday. And on Tuesday of that following week, 
two days later, we woke up, we had breakfast, and we got into the conversation about moving. And what would that look like? And is that something we wanted to do? Did we want to sell my house? I owned a home where my son was living. What, was, what did it all look like? And about two and a half hours later, we came to the conclusion that we were ready. He was ready to let go. And I was ready to step into it. And we were going to buy a house together. The feeling of delight that we both had through tears was not something I could even explain. We were so excited. We were like kids. And again, we're old. Rob is 11 years older than me. He's 70. He'll be 71. I just turned 60 last Wednesday. So we're like, how can we be this excited? We're in love. We're going to buy a new house. Our kids think we're crazy. And um, so that was Tuesday. On Friday morning, we were having our coffee and he got an email from MLS, which is the, um, the listing system here in the United States when there's real estate for sale. We didn't sign up for anything, but he got some notification. And our dream was to live on this river. And our dream was to be, um, well, to, to live on this river if we could, but it, we knew we never could because you can't ever live on this river. It's too beautiful. Houses never go for sale. We wanted to be within 30 minutes of our grandkids and we wanted to be on water if we couldn't live on this river. And lo and behold, this house that comes into his email is um, on this river. And we wow. both kind of looked at this house and we were like, how can this be? And it was about 730. And so he immediately called the listing agent and left a message. It was too early for her to answer, obviously. And that was Friday. And she said when she called back at nine o'clock that they were showing it on Saturday and Sunday from nine to five every 20 minutes. And there was one spot left on Sunday. So we took it and we actually paddled to the house to come see it. And um, we made an offer. And because of the way that the real estate market is here in the U.S., there were multiple offers. We had to jump through a lot of hoops. We got the house. And we were giddy and terrified and excited and felt so, oh, this is so great. But there was some fear in there. What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Are we really going to live on stilts <laughs> and we're old and we should be buying a ranch that is easy and we're on a huge lot with a ton of privacy. And there were just so many things. People are like, what are you doing? And after we, all the details were finalized, I was scrolling through my photos and I literally like had to put my phone down. I looked at the photo I took of us that week before the house went on the market. And I took that selfie and guess what's behind Rob. Oh my goodness. Rob is this house. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So we blew it up. It's 11 by 14 and it hangs in our home. And it was the universe saying, here you go. This is what you want. So a big part of this whole transformation has been, that connection with self, but also that we 
are the creators of our lives, that we can indeed manifest um, that which we desire. And it's all about being connected to self. Um, I did skip one part, which I'll circle back to if it's okay with you. Sure. Um, I met Rob on January 1st and at the beginning of December, the year before, so a month before, I had a compelling urge to write about what love would feel like someday. And I spent probably a couple of weeks writing and rewriting not what would he look like, where would he live, what would he do, what would love feel like the next time I was in a relationship, which at that point, I knew someday Rick was going to send me the perfect human to love again. I just knew it. I knew it in a way that you just don't even think twice. But what would it feel like? And so I wrote all of that down. And I often will tell clients that I work with this as a tool. So after I wrote it, it still didn't feel like it resonated strongly enough for me. So I took my cell phone and I hit the record button and I read the pages of what I wrote. And every morning, it was about two weeks before Christmas in December, I would listen to my voice, close my eyes and listen to what love was going to feel like for me someday. And it was about three days before Christmas and my cell phone died. And I went to the Apple store and he said, you you need my phone. And I didn't think about it. You know, will you transfer my photos? Everything gets transferred over. I came home. I had a new phone. The next morning, I put my phone up to my ear to listen to myself because I had gotten into such a habit of listening to that recording before I meditated. And it was gone. And boy, did I cry. (laughs) I, I was just so sad. And then I realized I don't need to be sad. The universe knows what I want. And it's out there. And it's done. And I met Rob on January 1st, two weeks later. Wow. And he's the epitome of what I wrote. Literally the epitome. The only thing, and I tease him all the time, he did not say anything about his height. And he's a little shorter than me. (laughs) So we joke about that. I always say to people, if you're going to manifest, make sure you put the height in if that's what you want. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, my goodness. What beautiful, uh, beautiful, I call it story, but it's nonfiction. <laughs> I love that. I love that story of manifesting. And, um, you know, I, I know we could talk forever just about um, how that puts energy out into the universe and the whole flow that's that you started there by walking in the world that way, once you were able to sit with your raw, raw grief long enough, how long, how long, I mean, obviously, you've had some sort of practice with your life, 
um, with meditation, et cetera. How did that look right after um, Rick's death? Were you, did you just keep your habits? Yeah. How long did it take you to get back into that practice? Would you say? I, I think that, um, well, I know that that night, that infamous night when I woke up, I was about almost four months in. Um, it was a good four months. I mean, you know, those first it was few almost months, like that touch was pulling you back to it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was as though you're, you know, I'm a very visual person and I I feel like it's you know, I was at a crossroads. It's like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. Like I could go this way or I could go that way. And I I just felt supported after that experience. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the meditation and the hand on my cheek, it was it was the realest thing, Becky. I don't know if realist is a word. It was the most real experience. Mm-hmm. And as it happened, the tears, the tears poured down my cheeks, but they were tears of, I get it. I get it. You're here. You've never left. And it wasn't just Rick. It was him introducing me to my inner being who was always there, always. And so now when bad things happen, I check in throughout the day endlessly with her. I check in. And when something happens and I'm like, ooh, what should I do about that? And there's a relationship that I had, but it wasn't like it is now. It wasn't mm-hmm. this, this real deep, true trust that she was there for me. And between her and Rick, they pulled me out of that. And also the knowing that, you know, I've talked to people. Well, that doesn't happen for everyone. Some people choose the other road. They do. And Mm -hmm. you know what? That's their life journey. That's what's supposed to happen. Because we are all given free will to make those choices. And, um, you know, I feel like we're all holding hands. And so there's, we're in this big circle. And there's someone saying to me, come this way. Every day I meet people who are such a gift to me and teachers and mentors and clients who teach me, my grandchildren who teach me more than I could ever begin to imagine. And they're all like, come this way. And then I've got my hand behind me to someone saying, here, come this way. And it's this big circle of just all helping each other because none of us, none of us have it down and we'll never get it perfect and will never be done until we cross over. And so that's a big relief for me. I was always feeling like I had to know everything and I had to be everything. I just have to be me. And Rick gave me that gift. And it was really a shitty, excuse my language, gift packaging. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it couldn't have been any more beautiful. And I get to thank him until I see him again. 
Well, and I appreciate you saying that because I think sometimes when we have these conversations about transformation or um, the deeply magical aspect of losing someone that's very close to us to death, maybe really raw grievers might be listening and just that feels so foreign, you know, like I just can't relate, but I appreciate you because I'm with you, you know, saying it was shitty packaging, you know, that it's, it, you can, you can, um, you know, it's not black and white. It can be an, and not a, but that, that we can, we can have this wonderful transformation, but you know, I do not want the phone call to come again for anyone else. And, you know, I'm not, Oh, I'm not welcoming death into my life. You know, I can, I can still, cause, cause we're human, right? If I was absolutely able to walk in the world in a way that only floated on love and universal connection, I really 100% would be able to see death as just that person's transformation and release this mm-hmm. is Be- this is per Becky, right? This is just me, yeah. you know, that at their release of their energy and into a space of love and that it's nothing but beautiful, but I'm human. I'm human and I'm, I get selfish, right? And it's the, that bit that I miss this person or I don't want oh. this person to leave the planet. And I think in some ways, Teresa, that's what keeps our feet on the planet as well is. Absolutely. Yeah. That humanity Absolutely. about it. Well, I want to say I love your um, metaphor and or analogy of the circle and the come this way. And what I think you've brought to our listeners today is that handout just by sharing your story. It's been mm-hmm. a wonderful example of what we're doing with this project and podcasts that simply by listening to these life changing stories the bits that are meant to filter and come to me do and change my life and, and change the way I look at the world and the way I walk in the world. And I think that's why our listeners keep coming back is because, um, because of that dynamic. And I think you've just given us a huge gift today. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for allowing me to share. And, um, and I will absolutely reiterate what you just said is that, you know, this is all wonderful and I am grateful, but there are many days where I will wake up and that part of me that is absolutely human wants him back, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing about it. And I sit with that. And what I know is that it's okay to have both ends of that stick because through the human journey, we experience the things that the spirit comes for the ride with us, but we get to go there and be nice to ourselves too, mm-hmm. because we can beat ourselves up when we go there sometimes. Oh, it's been so many years. Um, it's a lifetime and grief will, um, grief becomes our constant companion. Yes, Absolutely. So can you tell our listeners um, where they can find you? And um, Absolutely. Um, yeah. I can be found on Instagram um, at heal underscore through underscore love. That's the name of my company, Heal Through Love Life Coaching, and also www.healthroughlove.com. 
www.thepowerofpositivelife.com. Um, it's just a pleasure. And um, I, I have followed you, Becky, in the depth of my grief. I found you and, um, and I found so much comfort. And we're all in this together. One of uh, my favorite quotes of all time always has been and after Rick died I got a card and I framed it with this quote on it and it's a Ram Dass quote that says we're all just walking each other home that's and, my favorite my favorite yeah. it's by my bed in the frame yeah. on the wall and um that's it we're all just in this together and how lucky I just feel honored to have been able to spend this time with you so thank you Thank you so much. And we'll have your details of where people can look back if they didn't catch where to find you in the program notes. Thanks so much for being with us okay. today. Okay. Take you care. Can take good care. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.